Well, good morning. So we had a little Google glitch today, so we're not able to upload slides for um, the big screen, but if you have the Summers Avenue app or you follow along on the version uh, on their app or even go to our website, you can find a link and, and see the, the uh, excellent slides that I created uh, for you this morning. So uh, we're going to be able to figure out Google one of these days, right? Is that, that's one of my questions. When, if, I, if we're able to ask questions in glory, that's going to be one of mine. What, what happened to the Internet? It's the same thing about those socks. You, know, you, put a, you lose socks in the dryer. How do you lose stuff on the Internet? But anyway, so uh, we've been doing um, for the last several years um, going to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. And so uh, typically it's, it's a lot of our, our youth that go and their adult chaperones. And so uh, this summer, Kelson Miller has been invited to be a missionary uh, in the Dominican for the summertime. And so uh, we want to help support her in doing that. And so on uh, February the 19th, which is a Wednesday night, for that Wednesday night meal, which is April's meal, everybody comes to April's meal, right? And so for that night, all proceeds are going to go towards supporting Kelson uh, for her uh, her work this summer in the Dominican. And so you, if you come to the meal, uh, pay for everybody's, right? So there's there's no price attached to the meal. So what we want is for you to be free to, to be able to give and support her and know that all those proceeds are going there. If you don't come to Wednesday night meal, we still would like to, for you to support her and have an opportunity to do that. And so uh, you can certainly do that also. Uh, so we'll be talking about that uh, over the next uh, few days and through emails and, and reminders. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. On the 19th, Wednesday night, all proceeds go to Kelson, but you can give at any time uh, to help her this summer in her mission work in the Dominican. And I believe we are planning a trip uh, this summer also with our group. So we're going to be down there at some point uh, working with her uh, in the Dominican. So we're excited about that. So you, you've heard of binge-watching, right? Uh, probably done some binge-watching, and so we have offerings like Netflix uh, who have kind of uh, taken uh, the, the, the terminology of binge-watching and just sealed it uh, into our cultural identity. And so there was a survey done back in, uh, in 2014 where 73% of people who were surveyed about binge-watching, they said binge-watching to us is watching two to three episodes of a particular uh, television show, the same television show, in one sitting. And so you sit there and you just binge through it, right? You, you watch one and you watch another and you watch another until you just can't watch anymore. You fall away from the TV, I guess, or fall asleep uh, for some of us. And so people would spend an entire season of television in just a few hours, just sitting right there in front of it, watching start to finish. And the great thing about binge-watching is now I don't have to wait a whole week to find out what happens next, right? And that's the great thing that Netflix and others like that have done for us. Netflix has made a fortune off of our love for binge-watching. And so high-quality stories seem to, to retain the audience's attention for hours on end, which is why this phenomenon is, is, is taking hold of us how it has. It works for me because I love binge-watching, but Netflix didn't start this trend. You know who did? It was Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster Video? Blockbuster started this whole trend. And so uh, Tressa and I had our first binge-watching, I guess, experience when Band of Brothers was released to VHS. And yes, I said VHS, right? And so we went down to, to Blockbuster and we got, we got one VHS 
cassette tape. We took it home and watched it, and we knocked that thing out, and we're like, wow, I wish, I wish we would have gotten more. So here I go back down to JFK, to, to Blockbuster, and I grabbed up, I think they had a limit, so I, I maxed out at their limit, whatever it was, three or four at a time, until we got through the whole uh, nine or ten episodes uh, of that particular series. And so I think about that when I think about our Bible reading through the year. And I hope you are joining us in in some capacity in reading through Scripture this year. That was a charge uh, that we had in January, knowing that some have been doing this and already do this and kind of have their own plan and their own niche that they follow in the reading. But I hope you are doing something, and not just to accomplish it, not just to to, to check a box, not just a, a hash mark, right? But read for your faith. Read for your faith. Uh, The psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, in verse 4, For the Lord's decrees are just, and everything He does is fair. And so when you follow the works of God from cover to cover, from Genesis to maps, as Oren likes to say, then what you're able to see and understand is how the first promise from God, of God, to mankind can be fulfilled. So you get to follow that promise all the way through. It's beginning to end, right? You get to see the whole story and how every step along the way, God works for the good of mankind, despite our constant attempts to work against Him. And so we, we, when we binge watch, we tend to rush from one episode to another, right? Because we're impatient. We want to see what's next. Unresolved stories, especially good ones, we want to get to the end of it. We want to, we want to resolve that tension. What happens next? And what happens next? And and what happens next? Right? And we're on and on and on. Let me encourage you, don't give in to that urge to speed through the Bible as you're doing your Bible reading. Slow down and, and contemplate and meditate on the Scriptures. Meditate on the Word of God. Wrestle with the text. Struggle with it. Where, 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 where it fits in the big picture of humanity, right? See how God is faithful in all that He does. And so if you're behind, don't rush to catch up. If you haven't started yet, don't skip ahead. Start or stay the course. And in either case, be filled with the goodness of God on this journey. And so if you haven't taken advantage of the resources that, that we've mentioned before, the, the BibleProject.com has some great uh, teaching and, and, and um, extra resources that go along with our reading. Some really neat videos and some little deeper into the text and certain, certain words and, and, and phrases and things. And so really good. And also the, the Read Scripture app. Uh, will let, let you uh, kind of follow your progress, check off each day. If, if you're one of those folks who, who has to keep up, you know, with, and seeing check marks and making sure that you account for, for every uh, block of reading. And so that's another good resource also. There were some printed copies of the schedule that were on this back table too that you can get and take with you. So, so when we think about the, the writing, we think about Scripture, the one thing about this collection of writings that we call the Bible is how each uh, d- division of the Bible was named. And so the, the Hebrews didn't use titles like we understand and like we use titles today. The first book wasn't called Genesis by the Hebrews. They referred to it as in the beginning. It's just what they referred to it. The second book wasn't called Exodus. They called it, and these are the names of. Now, if you flip to those, you look at Genesis, what's the very first few words in that book? Look at Exodus. What are the very first 
few words in that book. And so that's how they referred to these particular writings. And so, of course, they said it in Hebrew, which sounded really cool, right? Uh, but it was more concise. It wasn't as long as, and these are the names of. They had like two words, and I won't, I'll spare you that this morning. But Exodus is really a continuation of Genesis. It's sort of like a part two to Genesis. And at the end of Genesis, you have this, this family of Joseph having multiplied it and filling this good land that was given to them by the, by the Pharaoh of Egypt. You remember that one, who Joseph had served. And so Genesis and Exodus are both creation stories. Really, they're both creation stories. In Genesis, God creates a world. And in Exodus, God will create a nation. They're both creation stories. And so we have Joseph dying, the end of Genesis 50, and, and these children of Abraham now still not realizing the promise of God that was given to, to Abraham to, to make a nation of them and to bless the, all his descendants would be a blessing and to give this land to them. They haven't realized this yet. It's been a long time. And so they, they've got to wonder, is God's covenant really set in stone? It's been nearly 400 years. And so sometimes I struggle with the silence of God. Do you struggle with the silence of God? I believe God is at work, but I also believe that He's not at that moment in time telling me what He's doing. He's not filling me in on every detail, nor is He publicly displaying His, His purpose or His power. So it's not obvious. And in times like this, and other times as well, God is at work providentially. And so he's at work behind the scenes and in in ways that at the time, they're not immediately apparent to us. And so there were apparently not any God-given or God-evidenced events going on during this this time of the lives of the Israelites from the death of Joseph to this point in Exodus. And so we skip a lot of years here. And so last week we talked about perspective. Remember that perspective and how our perspective is so limited based on our own personal perspective experience. And so the people here were multiplying, and at least in numbers, they were sort of resembling the birth of a nation. And life for them was changing rather drastically, and and it would appear none of it was good in the changes. Yet God was, was weaving for His greater purpose for all creation. In each one of these circumstances, He was using a thread called covenant. And so the Word of the Lord is right and true. And He's faithful in all that He does. And so in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 8, we read that, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power over Egypt. And he said to his people, Look at the Israelite people, more numerous and stronger than we are. Now that was probably an exaggeration, right? Come, let's deal wisely with them, or shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will continue to multiply. And if a war breaks out, They will ally themselves with our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put foremen over the Israelites to oppress them with hard labor. As a result, they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. And as a result, the Egyptians loathed the Israelites. And they made the Israelites serve rigorously. They made their lives bitter by hard service with mortar and bricks and by all kinds of service in the fields. And every kind of service the Israelites were required to give was rigorous. 
rigorous, right? I love that word. You can imagine the rigors of this work. It was just miserable, hard work here. Satan is raising opposition against the fulfillment of God's covenant promises every step of the way. He is involved every step of the way. The serpent is striking the heel of these followers of God. And although I have never been bitten by a snake, right there, okay, right there, I've stepped on a Lego barefoot. I've done that, right? And, and I tell you, it hurt. It hurt. And it might not have drawn blood every time. It's certainly not life-threatening, except for maybe the one who left it laying there in the middle of the floor for me to step on. But, but it hurts, right? It hurts. So the actions of Satan are working through the willing hearts of sinful humanity, wielding these painful wounds on God's creation. And so we can be so cruel to one another. Humans can be so cruel to one another. But God promised evil will not be fatal for those who are in covenant with God. Because God's going to raise up a deliverer who will strike the serpent on the head. Which, by the way, is recognized in pretty much every culture as a great way to kill a snake. Right? Crush its head. So God's deliverer is going to terminate evil. That's His promise. And so now we've got this Pharaoh who's putting it to the Israelites through this miserably hard labor. And Scripture says He made their lives bitter. Made it bitter. And so He was afraid that these multiplying Israelites are going to align themselves with, with His enemies, His nation's enemies, and then leave Egypt. But back to perspective... Things seem about as bad as they can get for these Israelites. And yet they continued to multiply. They multiplied by the will of God. And so Pharaoh strikes with the hard bite of his evil and he orders the women who are helping with these births, these midwives, right? Throw all the Israelite baby boys into the Nile River. That's what he tells them. When they're born, you throw them into the river. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other Puah, when you assist the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe at the delivery. If it is a son, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she may live. But the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. Now, this is interesting. If someone asks you the names of the midwives, could you answer? Could you tell them the names of these midwives involved in this? From this text, you could, right? You could quickly say Shifra and Pua. Maybe you couldn't quickly say it, but you could find it, right? And so, you know, it's there. They're their names. Now, if they ask you the name any of the pharaohs mentioned in this chapter, could you give a proper name for them? What's their proper name? There's lots of speculation about the identity of these pharaohs, but it's still speculation. Think of this. The highest official in the land. Oh, what's his name, right? When oh, what's his name made a decree, these men's names were known and feared by millions. But we don't even know who they are from this Scripture. And, and, And this is in spite of massive projects, building pyramids and extensive efforts of of mummifying the bodies of kings. Who who is this here? You can't find it in Scripture. What a gracious gift of God to these two God-fearing midwives. He records their names. For example, to the believers throughout the centuries, God doesn't even care much about 
King What's-His-Name, right? But he is intimately concerned with Shiphrah and Puah, who would trust and obey him. What a great honor. Is there a greater honor than to be known and remembered by God? And so this is so critical to faith for us, just to know what God thinks of us, to know where we stand with God. We're living in a time where insults and demeaning statements and derogatory call-outs and just rude commentary is normal. It's normal in our society. We hear it from our leaders and we hear it from our friends. Civility, it seems, has been relegated to antiquity. Right? It's old-fashioned. These Hebrews are so far removed from this promise of, of God to Abraham the, the promise made at, at, at the, the Eshel Avraham, the Oak of Mamre, the Oak of Abraham, right? This Pharaoh hated them. He treated them less than human. He attempted genocide against them. Wanted to wipe them out, starting from the, the youngest to the oldest, right? And to top it off, they haven't heard from God, the God of Abraham, for hundreds of years. So last week... Thinking back, we'd say that they probably think their 911 call has gone unanswered, right? And maybe their call's been dropped because their perspective is limited. It's limited. And so Moses, having escaped the work of Satan through the king's efforts to, to kill these baby boys and having been raised as a son in the palace of that very king by the providence of God, now he's poised to carry out God's emergency response plan to deliver the family of Abraham, the family of, of Jacob, of Joseph, to the land, the promised land. It was promised so long ago. Do you struggle with the silence of God? I do. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of My people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the region of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You remember when, when God led Abraham out of that land, out of his father's land, to a land that God would promise him. These are the people that he passed through. These are the people that he saw. This is the puzzlement that he had. Is how is God going to fulfill this promise? And God says, And now indeed the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I have also seen how severely the Egyptians oppressed them. So now go, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I have seen, I have heard, I know. I have come and I will bring. What an amazing conversation here and, and, and revelation. Not just to Moses and the Israelites, but for you and for me also. You know, God's voice may be beyond our hearing and, and God's actions may be beyond our perception, but God sees and God hears and God knows. And let this be a comfort for you. In your daily struggles. Let, the, and let this also be a conviction for you in your daily stumbles. And while he didn't come out and say it, we can know by his words and his actions that God also cares. 
He cares. He cares about what others say about you and about what others do to you. And He cares about what you're going through, what you're fighting through, what you're suffering through. God cares. He knows. He hears. He cares. And He cares especially when you are in danger of losing sight of His purpose for you. Twice in this conversation, God refers to the Israelites as my people. And long before the Apostle Paul was born, God made sure that we knew for sure that if God is for us, who can be against us? So overcoming his own reluctance and, and overcoming the you know, cynicism of the people here. And Moses stands now before the people. And he goes and he stands up to Pharaoh on behalf of God. And so this mighty empire of Egypt whose pantheon of protector gods and provider gods is carved across the landscape. You cannot miss all these that they are bowing down to. Now they are brought face to face with the God of creation. And whether or not one would ever admit it, there will be no denying who is the true God. And so the stubbornness of humanity is now laid bare in all its vainglory as water is, is turned to blood and frogs cover the ground and gnats annoy beyond belief and flies swarm beyond reason and, and, and livestock diminish and boils cover head to toe and, and hail pummels and locusts consume and darkness conceals. And on nine inescapable occasions, God proves His power and His majesty over any power that mankind thought we had control of. And nine times, the serpent flails and strikes. And Pharaoh's stubbornness is going to bring the final judgment. And so a substantial part of Pharaoh's plan seemed to be this intimidation and this oppression, this demoralizing and frightening of these Israelites so that they would not dare resist their taskmasters. And now God allows Pharaoh to be a victim of his own devices. And so after this, this first plague of blood, we read in chapter 7 and verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not pay attention to this. Shrugged it off. And then we see this pattern of digression where in chapter 8 and verse 15 it says, he hardened his heart. In verse 19, his heart was hardened. In verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. In chapter 9 and verse 7, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. In chapter 9 and verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's like, whoa, wait, hang on a second, back up there. What's that? What's that? The Lord hardened his heart. What does that mean there? So Pharaoh had no choice? Is that what it's saying? No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what this means. Think of it this way. Back to, think, think of arguing kids. You know? what, what phrase are we likely to hear at some point when kids are arguing? What's going on? He made me mad, right? She made me mad. Or they made me mad. We use that a lot. They make me mad. You know, that group of people or that, those kind of people or whatever it is. Did they make you mad? <laughs> they really make you mad? Did they force you to be mad. Who controls your reaction? Who controls that? What we mean is their actions were the catalyst. They were the catalyst for my emotions. But I choose what my emotions are going to be and to what degree those emotions manifest themselves. And so, Scripture is telling us that everything was by the power of God. If He's sovereign, He's got to be sovereign over everything, right? It was God's actions 
for his people against this Pharaoh, which were the match that lit his short fuse. And so he had a choice. And God knew what he would choose. And so God's going to use Pharaoh's stubborn will as part of God's greater purpose. And so don't you know (laughs) that God will use your stubborn will as part of His greater purpose? Humility is the first step in submission to the will of God. So it's knowing your place in this great cosmos. And the wisdom literature expresses this. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, He mocks the proud mockers, but He shows favor to the humbled and the oppressed. And so the, the, the Hebrew connotation there is, is poetic justice. There is poetic justice. We would say karma. We don't mean karma, but that's just a word we use. It's poetic justice, right? You know, they, they had it coming. But in God's sense, it's the punishment will fit the crime. The justice of God is the punishment will fit the crime. And so with the tenth plague, we see the wisdom of God shaming the folly of man. So how did Pharaoh begin this this downward spiral? He began his quest to dominate the Israelites by randomly killing the male children as they were born. And so when Pharaoh failed to discern that he was simply a pawn of Satan who was seeking to wipe out this seed from which the Messiah was to come, the seed of promise that God made in Genesis 3. And now God is going to meet His justice by killing the firstborn sons of Egypt. I'm going to flip the tables here. And so I reminded us earlier how God works for the good of mankind despite our, our attempts, our constant attempts to work against Him. And so we've got to remember, we need to remember that we need help remembering. <laughs> right? We need help remembering. So God institutes a meal for them. He institutes a supper so that Israel will never forget how the God of Abraham is a God of promise. He's a God of covenant. And so chapter 12 details this feast of the Passover and how God would move through the land, striking down the firstborn male children, except for those in the homes where the blood of the unblemished lamb is spread over the doorposts. So those who are covered by the blood, will be spared. Why? Because God sees, and God hears, and God knows, and God came, and He brought deliverance. He brought salvation to those who obeyed. And so God led His people unhindered, unhindered right out of the gates of Egypt and into a lifelong journey of faith in Him. And so Exodus is this book of epic encounters between God and His creation. It's one in which may leave us wanting to binge the next episode and the next and the next. We want to get through because I want to get to Noah and I want to get to, you know, I like Babel. That's my favorite. You know, I want to go back to, you know, we're running through Genesis. We want to get to the big ones. We get to Exodus. We want to get to the end. And we're going to skip through Leviticus because we don't like it. And so that's our danger in this. But Scripture, all of Scripture, draws us into a story where God is the author and God is the main character. And as most any human literature we might read, God's book also has this thing at the beginning called a dedication. You know, when you open a book and the first page is there, it's usually like a, a dedication. God has one. From the beginning, from the genesis of creation, God has told us that, that, that His creation, everything about this is dedicated to us. It's dedicated to us. 
created in His image, destined for eternal relationship with Him. But now, only in the absence of sin that that so easily entangles us. And so this morning, we shared in a new supper to remember, a new Passover, to remember how those who are covered by the blood of God's perfect Lamb, His firstborn Son, will be passed over once again. We are saved for eternal life with God. And now His Spirit leads us leads us now out of the gates of hell and into a lifelong journey of faith in Him. A journey that requires humility and a journey that requires remembering. A journey to the promised land where our purpose will finally be fully realized. So will you be led by His Spirit today? Is your life marked by love, joy, peace, patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Is your life marked by that? Have you hardened your heart towards someone so that there's no viable tissue for God to cultivate His glory? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us to humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. The only way we can be lifted up is if we humble ourselves down. And God is waiting, just like a a father, like a parent, a loving parent, to reach down and, and to pick us up in all His glory and to share His love with us for all of eternity. God hears. God sees, God knows, God came, and God wants to deliver. This morning, maybe there's something you need to be delivered from. Maybe it's all, it's all right here. <laughs> it's all between our ears. It's thoughts that we hang on to. Maybe they're against someone else. Or maybe it's, it's thoughts even against God's will, something God wants for us and has instructed us to do. But we don't want to break free from that. We still want to be just like Israelites in Egypt. When they get to the desert, we want to look back. We were better off in Egypt than we are out here following God. Maybe we feel like that. That's Satan. That's Satan fanning the flames of those thoughts. And God calls us to repent of those. Turn away from those. Run from those thoughts and back to Him. The King of glory. There's a sin this morning you need to repent of. Don't wait. Ask God's forgiveness. If we can pray for you and with you for encouragement this morning, we want to do that while we're assembled together. And if you are ready to be delivered from the burden, the bondage of sin, that comes through Jesus Christ by confessing Him as the Son of God, confessing Him as your Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior of your life, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness, the remission, the washing away of your sins, and being raised up in a new life, a child of God, with the promise of eternal life with Him and the gift of His Spirit to guide us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to walk with us each step of the way. This morning we're going to stand and sing a song for you to consider your position with God.
And if we can assist you in any way while we stand and sing, will you come?